Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Around the world, on the internet, at MichaelDukesShow.com, and across the state of Alaska, on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator. Hello, good morning, welcome to the program, and thanks for coming in. It is the Michael Duke Show, uh, hour uh, one of the broadcast today, and we have got uh, some things to talk about, some discussions and headlines and things that we need to dive into and talk about. I just, there's my dad just popped into the chat room this morning. Good morning, dad. I love you. It's uh, it's good to see, good to see uh, family here uh, following along, along with all the other folks. If you'd like to participate on the program this morning in a, uh, in a fun way, you can always join us uh, on our simulcast on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch this morning. All three are available and up and running, and uh, we're going to cover all that stuff in hour one today. We're going to cover a bunch of headlines and kind of my thoughts on the state of the state, the state of the state, the state of the nation, the 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 state of political vitriol. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Something fancy. Uh, that's what we're going to cover this morning uh, on the show in hour one. Uh, we're going to open up the phone lines and we're going to talk about some stuff and see what you guys have to say about it. And uh, we'll be uh, covering those headlines here in just a minute and uh, opening up the phone lines uh, to go uh, along with it here in just a, a few minutes. In hour two on the program, we're going to be joined by Kelly Shibaka, who is the GOP candidate for U.S. Senate. And uh, she's coming on board to share with us and talk with us about, well, we're going to talk about uh, the budget, uh, the national budget. We're going to talk about defense. We're going to talk about Roe v. Wade. We're going to talk about uh, immigration. We're going to talk about the recent Supreme Court rulings. We're going to talk about the rally. It's going to be a lot of stuff. Is all going to be, it's, it's going to be a smorgasbord, a smorgasbord of discussions this morning. With Kelly Shibaka in hour two uh, on the program, so I hope that you hope that you stick around with us and uh, and uh, hang out and uh, give us a chance to uh, inform you, educate you, entertain, and enlighten you all at the same time. So that's uh, coming up this morning. All right. So, um, boy, you know, I I mean, I really am facing today. With, uh, you know, normally pretty chipper. I'm facing today with a little bit of sadness. Um, Only because I'm watching what's going on um, across the country. And I'm watching the uh, divisiveness 
that is going on. Now, maybe 10 years ago, I would have naively stated something along the lines of, you know, we've never seen this kind of, um, uh, you know, we've never seen this kind of vitriol or brutality in American politics. But the more I read about the history of American politics and and kind of how things are going on, the more that I realize that that's really not true. That in fact, American politics has been a vicious, vicious cesspool, um, really, since the uh, since the very beginning um, when um, um, when it was it was Adams and it was Adams and Jefferson uh, uh, wrote. Uh, 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 I think it was uh, it was Adams and Jefferson where uh, uh, Jefferson called Adams a blind, bald, crippled, toothless man who is a hideous, hermaphroditic character that neither the force or fit with neither the force nor fitness of a man, nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Okay, so then Adams turned around. And called uh, and called Jefferson a mean spirited. Uh, I'm sorry, a mean spirited, low lived fellow, son of a half breed Indian squaw, and it just went on from there. I mean, that was. I mean, it was not a. Uh, it was not a. It was not a happy time. Okay, I mean, so but we like to think that, you know, boy, nothing has been as vicious and as you know. Uh, but I, I just look at what's going on today and I, I realize that we are moving, you know, the, it's like the pendulum swung to one point and we thought maybe it swings, it would swing back, but it's just, it's swinging on through and moving on forward to, um, um, for, uh, uh, you know, an amazing, and then Donna makes the point Adams and Jefferson became very good friends after that, by the way, for those of you who are students of history and they continued to write letters to each other, um, for the remainder of their lives. Um, and in fact, some of the best information on the founding of the country can be found in those discussions between Adams and Jefferson. Um, and, uh, it, it's, uh, but, but regardless at the time, <clears throat> I mean, that was, them's was fighting words. You know what I mean? Them's was fighting words for sure. All right. Um, so I guess th- that was all to set up what I want to talk about here in hour one today. And I was thinking about it last night as I was considering what topic I kind of wanted to bring up. And I started to look at some of the news stories that were out there. And um, I kind of want to come back to how I try and finish the show every day. My final words on the show every day um, have been, over the last few years, have been, uh, you know, be kind to one another, love one another, and live well. That's, that's been my exhortation to you as listeners here on the program. And I don't know if that just signs, if that's just, just to, to some of you just sounds kind of trite and, tr- you know, some kind of, I don't know, like it's just some kind of phony sign. But I, that's what I truly believe. I truly believe that we as individuals 
should be <clears throat> loving one another and, uh, you know, being kind. Uh, and I find that in this day and age, that seems to be harder and harder, especially with social media and the internet and everything else. And the fact that in many ways we seem to be, in fact, not moving forward, but going backwards. And I'm going to talk about that this morning and uh, I will uh, I will open up the phone lines to get your take on it to see if am I just a sensitive snowflake? Is that my problem? Am I just like uh, uh, just uh, am I just a, uh, you know way too sensitive on this stuff? But I mean it's it's wearing me out. I mean when I watch this stuff, I just shake my head and go, what the what the what the what? So here are the stories that made me think about this to begin with. So Must Read Alaska posted yesterday about a story. Uh, I mean, a story about a conference. Now, this conference is set up for August uh, 6th and 7th, and it is a two-day conference on the relationship between race and land in Alaska. Um, to be first and foremost, this this idea that we are continually looking at everything through a racial lens continues to bother me because I think it flies in the face of kind of the, um, you know, kind of this concept that we have developed and was initially developed as all men were created equal. And then, you know, we went through the whole idea of slavery and, and uh, Dred Scott and, you know, and everything else. And, you know, we became one of the freest nations on the face of the earth for people of any color, creed, religion, whatever. And we seem to have forgotten a lot of the, we seem to have forgotten a lot of the headway and the groundbreaking things that we did here in America over the course of a hundred years where it became a freer. I mean, was it, was it pretty, all along the way? No. I mean, we had some of the greatest issues of prejudice and and racial discrimination and bigotry. And, and yes, there are still people today who feel that way. There are still people today who keep, who keep you know, clinging on to some of those old ideas of, um, you know, the, the greatness of the greatness of a person is is completely declared by the color of their skin. Not by the content of their character, as uh, Martin Luther King would say. But we see that, that, that everything that we're seeing today, and more so than ever before, is all being held up um, through this racial lens. So Downing is writing about this conference called Race and Land, well, it, I don't know what the conference is called, but the, the conference is deals with the relationship between, quote, race and land in Alaska, and it's being sponsored by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The first day of the conference, according to the Humanities Forum website, is limited to uh, BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, and People of Color folks. This is their term for... Who can attend? Which means 
white folk need not apply, essentially. Um, you have to be black, indigenous, and people of color. Now, this is a nonprofit which receives government and private funding and says that the both days of the conference will include elements of storytelling, art, conversation, and connection to land and place. And it takes place down in the Mountain View area in Anchorage. The, the more I read about this, and we're seeing more and more about this, where <clears throat> there's certain conferences, certain classes, certain things that um, if they are not outright banned, um, you know, uh, uh, people, you know, wh- white people, essentially, Euro- white European males and females, if they are not outrightly banned, in the, as is in this case, by the organizers, they will be shamed for showing up in certain areas because they uh, do not have an authentic experience in what many of these people feel like is the the problems, the societal problems or the cultures or whatever. And so it's frowned upon. And all I could think of is <clears throat> Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X, many of these, you know, people who fought and and in and died in this case to stand up for equality and to end segregation are watching a lot of these people turning around and resegregating themselves from the rest of America and society that this idea of divisiveness uh, and segregation is is kind of the ultimate form of divisiveness in this, in this regard, this divisiveness among Americans has become so pronounced that we are literally banning people from attending public meetings or public things about certain things just based on the color of their skin. I mean, this is what those freedom fighters, you know, MLK and others, this is what they were fighting against, that you judge a person not by the color of their skin, by the content of their character. And I'm watching this kind of stuff happen, and I, I'm, I mean, I, shocked, maybe, uh, disappointed, yes, absolutely, and uh, but it's not just this is just one area. We've got more divisiveness going on in other parts, and I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Um, but I, you know, and and yes, people have again. There's the history of this. People have been treated badly based on race. I am not disputing that. I'm saying that if the the the, the person of color in America today. If you think that they are experiencing the same experience today that they were a hundred years ago, you have failed to look back at the lessons of history. I mean, this is the same things that people like Walter E. Williams and others were talking about that, you know, this is <laughs> this is a completely different place than it was a hundred years ago. And I'm not saying that there's a problem identifying as a race or anything it's that you look at everything through that lens and in the worst possible light of that lens that you that you look at everything for that's what the problem that's where these problems are leading us right now so anyway i'm going to continue on with this here in just a second 
Um, I'm, I'm going to continue on with this and talk about some of the other things that are going on. And I want to open up the phone lines as well so to, we can take your calls and discuss it. If you would like to call in and talk with me this morning about this, feel free to ring the phone at 907-433-3150, the Satellite West call-in line, powered by our friends at SatelliteWest.com. I'd love to hear what uh, what you guys have to say on that. Um, Kelly Shibaka is going to be joining us in hour two. So we're going to have a conversation with her. We may get a phone call from Mike shower or not. He and I had not set up a time, uh, for today. He had told me a couple of you know, two weeks ago that he may or may not come back in. So I'm not expecting him this morning, but I'm going to continue this discussion here in just a moment. And so we will be back. How about that? Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Again, you can join us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, wherever you want to be. We'll be back with more right after these messages. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free, like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, good morning to you folks. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Good morning, says Kevin. Rip Anchorage, you were once a great city. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. And that I'm going to fold that into what I've been talking about this morning, because that's also part and parcel of this kind of the politics of personal destruction. Who, who's, who coined that phrase? Somebody coined that phrase. Um, but this is more the politics of societal destruction, more than just personal destruction. Hey, now let's party quietly and deliberately. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, mm, good morning. Uh, the inflation rate is 9.1% today. I saw that. I saw that. Some crazy stuff. The Duke's benediction, says Brian. Yes. Be kind, love one another, and live well. That's the benediction. Um, politics has always been a war zone. Corruption, greed, divisiveness, and ultimately tyranny have always been the pillars of the political arena. Our government was designed to minimize it, not extinguish it. Even as our declaration was signed, there were men who sought to use it for their own agendas. That is the nature of man. Uh, as long as they keep drawing lines, there will be division. Yes. Can I identify as indigenous? Sure. Indigenous what? I mean, I you know. Um, <clears throat> no one can tell you what to do. Blah, 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 blah. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Divide and conquer is what they're doing. It's how they control people. I mean, that's right out of Valensky's playbook, right? I mean, that was really, that's the key foundational basis of the uh, rules for radicals is, uh, is that. Um... When I was at his fundraiser, he said, if you want to talk about flying jets or random things, he would be up to that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, he wanted to. That's right. He and I were going to talk about just whatever. And we might we might, we might, might do that. Live long and prosper, says Kevin. 
Is that what you wanted my new? Uh, is that what you wanted my new benediction to be? I might get a cease and desist from Paramount for that one. Uh, for use for I'm sure they've trademarked that phrase at some point. Live long and prosper. Um. Okay. When has more government ed ever made the problem better? But isn't that what your children are taught, Rick? Isn't that what your children are taught in the government-run schools? Is that uh, any problem out there, the, the only real solution to any problem out there is more government intervention? That's what they're taught. The government should solve that. Not you and me, not communities coming together, not people working uh, for a common cause. It should be government doing it, right? That's what it's all about. Um. How about we white folks stop paying taxes and tell our tax money isn't fun to use racist bullcrap? How about that? How about just folks stop paying taxes until our tax money isn't used for the whole thing, regardless of color? I don't care who it is. Again, I'm not into the, I am not into the, you know, dividing us by color gradients. The golden rule is the law to follow. I don't see why that's so hard for a lot of people. Exactly, Michael. Exactly. Um, good morning. The wonderful rain on the roof, the wonderful sound of rain on the roof, always, um, a great way to uh, start the day at Fairbanks. I agree, Debbie. It's, uh, it's beautiful out there. A good old fashioned gunfight to dispute a gentleman was how they resolved the problems of the day. Well, that's true. I mean, it used to be a little bit different when you could duel each other over things that you said. It makes a whole lot of difference, don't it? People would be a whole lot politer when you have to meet at dawn with pistols. Uh, (laughs) I've often said you should bring back dueling for that reason alone. All right. uh, We are getting close to the time here, folks. We're going to rejoin. Please like and share this video. And if you're on YouTube, please like and follow the show page or subscribe and ring the bell if you're on YouTube as well. We're going to uh, jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do this. All right, welcome back to the program. Um, we're talking about uh, we're talking about uh, the divisiveness in America and how we are being divided out uh, among racial lines, along philosophical lines, along religious lines, along all these various different types of ways that you know they can divide. And people have commented. You know, that divide and conquer, they've used phrases like that in the chat room this morning. And, I mean, you know, this is right out of the kind of the rules for radical playbook. I mean, and, it, of course, it's an axiom that came on long before Saul Alinsky, which was, of course, the whole divide and conquer. That they're much easier to break up 
you know, the the unified, you know, the idea of a unified America. We've seen that a few times in American history where people have been so divided. Um, you know, the entry into World War II, for example, was, I mean, America, we had isolationists, we had, you know, we had the hawks, we had the doves, we had the isolationists, there were all these different things, until Pearl Harbor, and it was like a hand, you know, where each different thing was doing a different, you know, idea, had a different way to go, and then all of a sudden Pearl Harbor hit, and then the hand, those fingers curled in, and we became one unified fist to fight the war, right? I mean, that was the... So we've seen it. We saw it happen after 9-11, where for a short period of time, everybody put aside whatever differences they had, and we kumbaya'd to fight, you know, to fight a, a common foe kind of thing. So we have seen people come together, but it seems like America's nature is to be divided in one way or the other to different degrees. Um, and But I just, I see it today more and more. It seems to be getting more divided and more vitriolic and instead of finding ways to bring the path forward as we saw during the civil rights movement and other places you know back of the bus uh you know uh you know the coloreds water fountains and you can only sit over here and you know all these other things that were slowly disappearing in america and rightly so um, now it seems that we're starting to to rubber band back in the other direction, but in this case, it is purposeful segregation, which people should have the right to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't have the right to only um, consort or be around people that that you choose to, but to the extent that they're basically uh, uh, you know going now, it seems to be almost. The reverse segregation, instead of everybody coming together and integrating and everybody working in everybody else's lives, it's about what divides us more than what brings us together. And this is kind of the whole point of this. Now, ironically, I had to uh, I had to chuckle because after this story came out um, about this uh, uh, about this uh, meeting or this uh, uh, conference on race and the land in Alaska. Uh, that uh, there was a complaint filed with the Alaska hum- uh, the human rights uh, 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 with the Human Rights Commission um, because uh, they have advertised this uh, forum and they're a public entity. They're a 501c3 and acting in bad faith to engage in prejudicial and discriminatory conduct against protected identity groups, um, which again, now it becomes more of a political battle than a racial battle, but it's still a fight. They're still going back and forth. And it, I, I just, you know, to quote the, to quote that greatest of sage philosophers, Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Right? I mean, can't we all just. So anyway, uh, Anchorage resident Jay McDonald has filed a human rights complaint against the Alaska Humanities Forum over its advertised conference in August that excludes white people from half the conference. He's also a candidate for the House, so, I mean, no political motivation there to file this. But anyway, he said the August 6th and 7th conference excludes his children who do not identify as uh, a BIPOC as the conference has labeled people of color. He said, no family in Alaska should have to fear that they will be forced to leave a public space based on the color of their skin. And that's 100% truth. I don't know how much politics, you know, I don't know how much political wrangling kind of went into this decision or whatever, but there you go. Uh, but this actually leads me on to the second big story uh, from yesterday, which happened uh, last night. 
the Anchorage Assembly, um, after days and days and days of uh, discussions and public testimony and, and everything else, has now added to the city code a process for removing the mayor from office without a vote of the people for a, quote, breach of the public trust. Uh, Bronson himself compared it to a coup, and the Assembly has twice postponed voting on it following lengthy public testimony that largely scorned the measure and stretched over two previous meetings. In a vote of 9-3 to three on Tuesday night, Assembly members passed the ordinance. The crowd, ch- crowded chambers erupted, cheers, boos, protests, uh, and everything else. Uh, Assembly members made several changes to the legislation before improving it, including raising the standard of evidence that must be met in order for a hearing officer to determine whether a breach of public trust occurred. Now, this is where it gets me. Uh, This is one of the most divided bodies of politics that I can remember seeing in my lifetime at the local level. You have got a – I love how the paper says – Moderate to liberal, moderate to liberal assembly. And uh, uh, compared to what yardstick, I don't know. But this is mostly a liberal assembly. It is a 12-person assembly with three conservative uh, members that are serving, essentially. Um, the, the vast majority of the rest of them are all pretty much dyed-in-the-wool, card-carrying liberals. And so how the, I had to let, I chuckle when they say, oh, this is the this is the how it plays out between a conservative mayor and a moderate to liberal assembly. No, this is a this is a liberal assembly and they have a conservative mayor and they are at loggerheads. And it just seems like this is another way to short circuit the process of of, of you know, representative democracy. We are a constitutional republic that uses proportional representative democracy in our local elections and things like that. And it seems to be another way to try and invent rules to be able to force things down people's throats uh, or to override the will of a majority that you don't agree with. Now, we've seen this time and time and time again in the assembly where they uh, have a certain belief, and we saw this all throughout the pandemic, that they have a certain belief Uh, that they had certain laws and codes and statutes that they didn't believe in, uh, oh, that they didn't believe that were important to fulfill, and so they would just ignore them. I mean, we saw Austin Quinn Davis serve as the acting mayor for months while the city code actually required that if her seat was vacated because she was serving in another capacity, that that seat, and we've talked about this, that seat should have been filled. But instead... They just kind of left it on hold and allowed her to be acting mayor. And then when the timing was right, she slips back into her seat. Um, So when it works out for them and they can't ignore the law so that they can work on things that they want to do, they're willing to do it. Uh, If they don't have a law that allows them to do the things they want to do, they will try and pass it. And in this case, trying to unseat a mayor um f- without a vote of the people. I mean, there is a recall process in place in, in this. Now, I don't want to get down into the weeds on the mechanics of all this, but here's my point. My point is is that we are literally I mean, literally at each other's throats over everything. 
um, that there are attacks on the mechanisms of government, that there are attacks on the, uh, you know, things like, again, uh, uh, you know, what the people vote. You may not like who the people voted for, but you don't go through and short circuit the process and find ways to end run around the public will in that regards to try and unseat those candidates that you don't agree with. You work with them, you work through them, you do what you got to do, you get it done. But we have become so divided. And I'll tell you right now, here's what the problem becomes. And I've only got a couple minutes here before the end of the thing here. But here is what the problem eventually becomes. You get to the point, and I think we're here personally. I think we get to the point to where the only people who are invested in these fights the Bronson Assembly fight and others, are those people on the extreme sides of each end, on the very, very conservative side and on the very, very liberal side, right? You, you, get, you, get, you end up, those people are focusing all their energy on that. And here's what's happening to the vast majority of people in the middle. Because I think those fringes take up maybe 10 or 15% of the overall population of people who are paying attention in the middle the 60 70 percent who are in the middle who are neither invested in the full-on full-blown progressive side or the full-on full-blown conservative side they're throwing their hands up and they're walking away and they're tuning out and they're like because this because it's just so I mean, it's just it, because it is so vitriolic and so divisive. And so we can't even my wife made a comment on a post the other day um, in some group that was talking about something about something. It's somebody had said something about abortion. My wife did not even offer a position. She said, I just don't think that there's a place for that discussion in this group because that's not really the function of this group. She didn't offer a position pro or con or anything else. And she immediately got dogpiled on by like 1,500 people because she may, again, not taking a position either or, just stating that I, you know, I don't think this group, which was formed about some hobby thing, I don't think this group is, you know, the, we shouldn't, we can all have our own views one way or the other, but we should, and, and just immediately dogpiled on and hammered into just dog crap over something like that. That's why the pendulum will continue to be swinging way out on the fringes because they're the only ones that are really still paying attention at this point. The rest of the people just want to be left alone. They want to be able to just get along with their friends and neighbors and relatives and coworkers and everything else. They don't want to participate in the stupidity that's going on in American politics today. And that's what's breaking my heart is that it has become so venomous, so vitriolic, such warfare over just opinion, not even fa- nothing, just somebody having an opinion that somehow we can't allow people to have an opinion that's different than ours. That's insane. And quite honestly, it's antithetical to the whole idea of what this country is. 
So every time you run into somebody who doesn't believe the way that you believe, and probably the listener to this program are all fairly conservative, but when you hear somebody espouse something that you just don't believe, the last thing you need to do is talking about what a commie, panko, tree-hugging, bed-wetting, liberal, blah, 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 blah they are. With these ad hominem attacks in your own mind to dehumanize them so you can't even see them as a person anymore simply because they disagree with you. You need to look at them with love in your heart, right? I mean, not to get too religious, but to look at them with love in your heart and to say, well, okay, that's great that you believe that way. Good luck to you. Right? Instead of the invective and the just, you know, running them down and running down their mother and their parents and their their lineage and their children and 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 wishing them death and destruction and all the other things that we hear and the the stuff I mean, again, this is what we need to stop on our side. I can't control what they want to do on their side, but at least we can be kind to one another. Because otherwise, we're going to destroy ourselves. Because we can't agree to disagree. All right, got to go. 907-433-3150. I don't know where that came from, but I'm pissed off about it now. Back with more of the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. I mean, am I right? I mean, my God, I want to just throw my hands up half the time when I, you know, if I climb onto Facebook for anything other than doing the show, after about 10 minutes, I just want to throw my hands up and just be like, oh, you people, all of you people, you can all go to hell at this point. I don't even care if you're my friend, you're my, you know, you can all just whatever, because we're not having any kind of constructive dialogue on Facebook. We're not having a constructive, you know, critical thinking, an argument, a reasoned debate on Twitter. We're basically calling either, you know, either we're calling each other again, you know, commie tree hugging bedwetters or knuckle dragging troglodytes, uh, you know, that, you know, gun loving knuckle dragging troglodytes on the other side. I mean, we're just all we're doing is just. You know, throwing that out there. I'm like, can't we agree to disagree? Can't we just say, well, this is an interesting point. I don't agree with your point. Explain to me more why you think about X, Y, and Z. Dukes, you fan the flames of extremism on a daily basis on your show. Okay. I mean, this show is open if you want to call in Chaka Olson and and discuss this. I mean, we can have a discussion. I respectfully disagree with you. I'm trying to be the voice of, you know, reason and be able to agree to disagree on things and at least have a conversation about it. I mean, so anyway, I'm, 
extreme. The problem is I don't believe that my views are extreme. I believe that my views are of a big chunk of America who are just so done with the whole political thing back and forth that they're just starting to tune out. And they're like, yep, the whole thing's just going to come unspun at some point and we'll deal with it then. They don't even want to pay attention to it anymore. And it just, it really, you know, it just really bothers me. All right. Um, passive, aggressive, your views are the norm, Duke, somebody said. That's uh, good to know. I use commie when I see a commie. Why? Okay, Michael, somebody who's a, with all due respect, Michael, somebody who disagrees with you and has a more progressive philosophy or more liberal philosophy, it doesn't make them a communist. But in your mind, if you call them a commie, you can dehumanize them and dismiss their arguments or their conversation. You know, again, you can say whatever you want. This is a free country. And if you want to use the term commie, that's that's fine. I have used the term communistic practices. I've talked about socialism and more socialistic leanings, but I don't call you're a commie. It, it, it's just, again, it's a way to dehumanize people. And it's a way to try and make arguments irrelevant that you don't agree with or can't argue against. Again, we need more we need more debate. We need more rational, reasoned debate. We need lot logic, rhetoric, and reason, the Socratic method. We need to have logic, rhetoric, and reason taught in schools today so we can have these conversations. Jer- uh, Jerica says, I feel you. I see get, get so frustrated all the time. It really isn't that hard at all to be just kind. Why people feel the need to be nasty and tear others down just baffles me. They really hate themselves to treat people like crap every day. I mean, some of these people, again, they say things on the Internet that if they said it to somebody's face, they would get punched out a, a lot of times. I mean, literally, like you read some of these things that people say over the Internet and you're like, whoa. You would never say, if you were looking at somebody face-to-face, a fight would ensue. But they feel free to do it because they're behind their keyboards and their monitors. It's just, it's a hot, 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 hot mess. But it goes beyond opinion in some subject, Mike's. I hear you, though, if there's any way to find ground, I'm up for it. At the end, of, we're all here for a short time. How we do this is in this world is very important. With purpose, I'm convinced of that. Honestly, I roll over in the middle of the night at times thinking about this stuff, and I do question myself as well. Yeah. Um, And Robert just continues to prove my point in the chat room. Um, um, Keyboard warriors. Yeah. I mean, living in their mom's basement, banging away at their keyboards in anonymity. The anonymity of the Internet makes cowards bold. That's, I, I, you know. That's that's how it works. All right, we're jumping back into it. I suppose I should throw the phone number out there again for folks who may want to call in and talk about this. Uh, here we go. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show. Like a chair, like a chair. Let's do it.
Okay, uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. I, I should check the phones. Nobody's called in. Apparently, I frightened everybody this morning with my... It got a little bit ranty there. You know, I, I guess the bottom line is, is this. Again, to quote the sage, Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Now, people may say, well, I'm going to call people names because they called me names. And I'm like, is this like the fourth grade? If you don't agree with people, the, you know, the idea of just debasing them and, and throwing ad hominems at them and, you know, it, it sometimes you just got to walk away, right? Sometimes you got to be the bigger person. Well, but they're threatening my way of life and they're threatening me. I'm not saying that you roll over and wet on yourself. I'm not saying that you stop fighting the fight in certain ways. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying do it in a in a loving, kind of strategic, fair way where you at least, you know, again, letting people have their opinions when they don't agree with you. Without wanting to burn them down. Now, I will say that in my experience, in my view of past events, I don't want this to be, I don't want this to be paraphrased a different way, but in my view of past events, this started more in my lifetime, in my memories, more with the left. That they were the ones that started to come out with the attacks. The ad hominems, the, you know, kind of the setting aside this tribalism where they set aside anybody who was not with them as the outsider, as the they, and then they would dehumanize them. They would throw, you know, race card or they would throw, you know, that's where it started. But over the last six, seven years, eight years, I have seen that now presenting in the more conservative side, who used to go, you know, we're just going to be the bigger people on this. We're just going to let it, you know, we're going to argue the facts. We're going to argue the positions. We're not going to get into this mudslinging and we're just going to. And it just seems like now both sides are engaged in this whole thing. I mean, it's, it, it, it again, those of us who are kind of in the middle of this dispute, now, I, again, I'm a very conservative person, but I'm also a person who believes that people should be left alone to do their thing, whether I agree with it or not. I, I mean, I have my morals and my virtues, and I believe that I have to answer for my actions to my God when it's all said and done. But it is not my position to go in and judge people on what they're doing or what their beliefs are. So that doesn't make me a right you know, moral conservative. I'm a libertarian. I'm like, I'm going to do me. You do you. We both have to answer to a higher power. I believe in the end, we believe we have to answer to God, have to stand in front of the judgment seat and do what we need to do. But you do you, that's up to you. I'm going to say, this is what I'm doing. If you want to follow with me, that's fine. If not, God bless you. And I think there's many of us in the middle who are, and I guess middle, because I'm I'm conservative, I'm right out here, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm not going to force my stuff on everybody. 
I'm going to talk about it when I can talk about it. But if you don't agree with me, again, God bless you. Oh, I did not think I was going to get so worked up about this this morning. But I'm just, it's, it's the destruction of society if we keep going in this direction. I mean, people are literally calling for violence. They're now paying people for sightings of the Supreme Court justices so they can go and intimidate them with threats of violence if the Supreme Court justices leave their homes and go out to places of public. Oh, they'll say, no, no, we're just protesting. It is an implicit threat. You are bullying them in public. I would never have said you need to go, you know, a buyer or President Clinton or something. You, I would never say that you should go out there and just intimidate them and do. But now, now it's the real thing. We're going to do that. I mean, it, it could be ugly, folks. All right, let me go over to the phones because I'm going to get wound up again, and nobody needs that. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, good morning, Michael. It's Dan from Fairbanks. Hello, Dan. So all this, all this that we're seeing is planned. It's been on the left, the left since uh, prior to Obama's administration. But the only thing they want to do is cause chaos, divide the country, have people fight each other, have people speak down over other people, and it doesn't matter what you believe. It's what they think you should believe, and if you don't toe the line. Then you pay the price. The thing is, Dan, the only way that that works is if we play into it. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you that this started more with the left and the progressive side. They were the ones that first started to be these ad hominem bomb throwers, that if you didn't agree with us, then you were the enemy and you deserved to be destroyed. It wasn't an agree to disagree. They immediately started the attack, attack, attack. The thing is... We should never have engaged in the same kind of tactics. They could, you know, you could let them, you know, bash against us for years if we just said, "Yeah, you're wrong. Sorry. No, I'm I'm not a racist, and no, I don't hate children and old ladies and puppies and butterflies. No, that's sorry. I mean, you're wrong, and uh, and I respectfully disagree with you, and walk away. Instead, we engaged with it, and we allowed the divisiveness to come through. I agree with you. I think it started there. But 10 years ago, you wouldn't see people on the right doing the things that they're doing today on Facebook and other places and just running everybody else down just like those, just like they complained that those on the left were doing. Well, I would have to respectfully disagree with you, especially on the political side, because I think there's a lot of Republicans and so-called conservatives that don't say anything and they don't stand up. So that allows them to continue on, and the mainstream media just drives it and drives it and drives it. Well, I mean, there are advantages. I would agree that they that that side does have some advantages in the mainstream media and other things as well. But the bottom line is, is that we could still stand strong. We could still stand for our beliefs. We could still work in the system and do what we need to do. We just shouldn't engage in the same petty political Bert Stedman that we normally. I'm sorry, that was BS that we normally do, uh, uh, that we're doing today. Many of us are doing today. Many of 
folks out there. So thank you for your call, Dan. End of hour one. If you're leaving us, remember, be kind, love one another, and live well. If you're sticking around, Kelly Shibaka is coming up for hour two, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Michael, I, Michael Beck says, I have to agree with the caller. You can't just walk away anymore or we'll all be oppressed. Or we could just get down in the mud and sling it with them and, and we'll all be covered in mud and pig shit. I mean, that's exactly what it comes down to, right? You get down and you wrestle with a pig and what happens? There are other ways to fight, Michael. There are other ways to stay strong. You could still rally and work in your community. You could still go in and fight the good fight. You could still go to your local councils and city and and, and borough assemblies and and, and state-led. And still do those things and still not get down into the mud with them and do it. There are many ways. That is, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, and you can agree to disagree. In my opinion, that is the easy road to pick up a handful of pig crap and just start slinging it with everybody else. It doesn't fix the problem. How are you, are you going to convince them? Are you going to convince them with your because they're slinging at you? Are you going to convince them with you slinging back? No, I just have a tendency to ignore them and just move on, still working towards the goals that I want to do to bring smaller, more limited government. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. All right. Um, Kelly Shibaka is going to be joining us here in just a few moments. Uh, I'm going to turn the phone lines off because I don't need to see them anymore. Because we're going to have Kelly on. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, we're going to have Kelly on for the next bit here. So I've turned all that stuff off. Uh, again, not to say that we have always been this great, polite. It says, again, that, that whole Jefferson quote is uh is just is just astounding the election of 1800 jefferson called adams a blind bald crippled toothless man who is a hideous hermaphroditic character with neither the force and fitness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman and then adams called jefferson a mean-spirited low-lived fellow the son of a half-breed indian squaw Yada, 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 yada. And it just it just got ugly from there. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, no, it was not all daisies and roses and everything else. It was definitely not a... Uh, uh, so, anyway... It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating discussion, but there you go. The news media is the people's number one enemy. Most just don't see it. And I would agree that much of this is fomented by the news media. Why? Well, because they want to sell papers. They want to get clicks. They want to get eyeballs on their cable networks. They want to do all that stuff. And you know what's, you know what, you know what's saucy? You know what sizzles? Uh, 
contention and fighting and vitriol. That's what that's what it all that's what it's all about. Um it's it what it was just bad. Um You'll never convince them, but that's the point. Small, uh, that's the point. Smaller, limited government against oppressive, tyrannical government. So with that, I'm done. I mean, that's exactly it. You, you're, you're not. So this is the thing. Why do you engage them when you know you're not going to convince them? Why do you engage? This is why on Firearms Friday, I welcome anybody to call, but that show is not directed to people who are anti-gun. It's also not directed to people who are pro-gun. It is directed to people who are somewhere in the middle and just kind of ambivalent or maybe leaning one way or the other. That's what it really, you know, that's what it's really about. (laughs) The fights back then were at least very rich in prose and great adjectives. Arguments are more fun when people understand the English language way better than F you and your mama insults. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They had a, they had a polite way of telling you to go to hell, uh, which I, you know, so that you will look forward to the trip, right? I mean, that was, the, that was the, the, the definition of diplomacy is telling you to go to hell and making you look forward to, to the trip at that point. Yep, they're pulling out the contention tools again. Racism, nationalism, um, you know, uh, skin color, uh, religion, uh, uh, social status, uh, financial status, uh, you know, height, weight, wh- whatever it is, old, young, anything that they can find to divide people is uh, is is definitely a uh, a, a tough thing. Like the founders, we hardly have the luxury to stop talking to each other. I mean, this is the story of Jefferson and Adams, right? That they um, that they came together after this bitter and contentious battle for the White House. They actually ended up coming together and being part of uh, one of the greatest friendships in history. So much so that they continued to expand letters back and forth to each other, I mean, so frequently, and then ending up dying on the same day. They literally, they died on the same day, July the 4th, 50 years to the day after the Declaration of Independence signing. They both died on the same I mean, it's, it's the craziest thing. Um, but they agreed to disagree and continued on. All right, uh, we got to go. Uh, Kelly Shabaka should be calling me any hot second. Let's uh, let's get into that. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal.
Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is the Michael Dukes Show. Hi, how are you? We are uh, waiting patiently uh, for, um, we're waiting patiently for our guest to reach out to us this morning. Kelly Shibaka is uh, supposed to be joining us. To talk about, um, well, a bunch of stuff on the national level. She's a GOP candidate for uh, the U.S. Senate running against the incumbent, Lisa Murkowski. And uh, she's here to tell us uh, why she uh, would do a better job. And we're uh, expecting that call from her, well, any second here. Um, We'll see uh, see what goes on. Meanwhile, I was just finished a... A very interesting segment on the show in the last hour talking about this um, this idea of, um, gosh, I don't know what you would call it. I guess an idea of attitude and uh, kumbaya and uh, just maybe getting along better than uh, what you would normally – treating people with respect, I guess – Maybe it is the golden rule, the political golden rule. Well, no, I don't want to put it that way because the political golden rule would make a mockery of the actual golden rule. Basically, it is be kind, love one another, live well, agree to disagree, find a way to engage people without belittling them, without ad hominem attacking them. Find a way to uh, to deal with that and um, and uh, and and be satisfied and happy in it. Um, quite honestly, it's one of the reasons why I don't engage much on social media because that is full of people who do not want to be persuaded in any way, shape or form. They're already convinced that they are absolutely right. No matter what you show them, no matter what proof or statistics or facts you try and throw at them, um, they are, they do not want to be convinced one way or the other. They're there to simply express their views in their echo chamber. And, of course, any and, – and I've seen this on both the left and the right uh, – any other, any other uh, uh, you know, counterclaim that causes you know, cognitive dissidence is enough to just send them off the deep end. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrific thing to watch. So it's, a, it's just a, it's just a, a – t- it's a terrific, uh, it's a terrific, horrible thing to watch. And uh, it, like I said, you are basically m- maligning and mo- and I would say marginalizing, except it seems like the margins are the ones that are doing it. Those on the far right, the far left, they're the ones that are fighting over the middle ground where all the rest of the people are standing around going, hey, I just want us all to get along and, and hang out and, and talk about things. Sorry. 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 
Um, anyway, Dan had an interesting comment, and I appreciated Dan's comment here at the end of the last uh, segment. And since uh, I don't have any, uh, since uh, Kelly has not called in yet, I'm going to go ahead and I'll open up the phone lines yet again. I just, I actually, I turned them off during the uh, during the commercial break because I didn't think I was going to need them. But I go ahead and turn the phone lines back on, and we will take your call and see what you uh, have to say here. Uh, and we'll uh, see if you want to comment on anything that I talked about in the last hour. And if you want to respectfully agree to disagree, that's fine. We'll talk about it. I'm okay with that. I don't uh, I don't want to ad hominem you. I don't want to attack you. I, I want to understand where you're coming from. So feel free to call us up and talk about it. Let's go over here. We'll start off with this caller. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, Michael. It's Kelly Chewbacca. Well, hello, Kelly. Um, I'm sorry. I sent the I sent the phone line to your uh, I sent the phone uh, number to Michaela. Apparently, she didn't pass it on to you, but you're fine there. If you're happy there, I'm happy to have you here. Thanks for coming on the program. I'm happy to be with you. Is this a good time? No, this is a good time. This is you were set up, but I thought you were calling in on my hotline instead of on the regular line. So, but that's cool. We're we're all we're all we all be good, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly Chewbacca, <laughs> GOP candidate for U.S. Senate, joins us on the program right now. Kelly for ak.com is where you find uh, her website, and of course, you can find her on Facebook and all the normal social channels and everywhere else. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Been a little bit of while. Uh, been a little while since we talked to each other. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm calling in to give you an update. I remember last time we talked, you said, "Hey, are you still going to call into the show?" So I told the team, "We need to get back on Michael Dukes. It's been a while." So yeah. this is a good time to get on the show. Yeah, good, absolutely. Well, we got a lot to talk about. I mean, I guess maybe uh, uh, latest things uh, first, uh, which of course would be the rally uh, this last weekend down in Anchorage. Um, uh, give us some, uh, you know, give us some updates. How, how did it go? I mean, I, I've heard lots of good things, but uh, how did it go overall? What was the response and uh, how has it affected the campaign? Well, we have a ton of momentum coming out of that rally. It was so much bigger and better than anything I could have ever imagined. Right before we went on stage with President Trump, one of the rally coordinators said that the headcount outside was around 22,000 people. The line they told me, I wasn't out there, wrapped all the way down to 36th Avenue. And it had been, people at the, at the front outside had been out there since around two in the morning and people just kept lining up and lining up all the way until the time that he spoke at the at late afternoon. I think he came on stage around five o'clock. And so it was just absolutely jam packed and you know, all those people couldn't get into the stadium, of course, but they thought ahead and brought gem, um, big screen TVs, jumbotrons to put outside so people could watch what was happening inside the stadium. And the feeling in the room was just a ton of enthusiasm and excitement. I think you can really feel that the policies that are being implemented by the administration today have really impacted Alaskans in a terrible way. And that sentiment was just felt throughout the entire arena because whenever we talked about policies like oil and gas or employment or the price at the pump, um, there was just a very loud sentiment. And at one point, maybe even a couple points, you know, with people stomping and everything, there felt like a mini earthquake in the stadium. There was just so much sentiment from Alaskans, but mostly really positive sentiment and enthusiasm for President Trump. No, I mean, I, uh, I, I agree. I think that, uh, people are feeling that way that, 
that, you know, the policies of the current president have uh, contributed to a lot of the problems that we're having now. I mean, I, I'm not one to believe that the president is responsible for everything, uh, you know, down to, you know, oil and gas prices and food sometimes that they have some control, but not a lot of it. But he has had a lot of policies that have definitely contributed to energy problems. Uh, the drilling, the stopping of the pipeline, the cancellation of the leases, the you know revisiting of EISs for uh, various projects and things like that. So those policies do matter. And uh, a pro-energy policy, the, the pro-energy policy under President Trump, I thought was one of his greatest achievements. And to see it be dismantled immediately was very frustrating. And again, I think contributes to uh, what we have going on here. And I think it shows a frustration. I mean, I think the new the New York Times poll that came out yesterday uh, uh, show or yeah, uh, Monday shows that pretty exclusively that even 63 percent of uh, people polled uh, and Democrats want uh, a new candidate for 2024. That says something <laughs> when your own party says we don't want you as a candidate for a second term. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know that we've ever had this in American history where um, there's a single president who's unified us around a single theme, which is you're doing a really bad job. We're all in agreement that he's one of the worst presidents in United States history. Or as as a fairly uneducated, self, self-realizing uneducated voter told me in Alaska, he said, look, I don't really know much of the difference between the two parties, but I think anybody can see things are a lot worse now than they were under the last guy. And so I'll be voting for you. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's made more Trump followers and fans than Joseph Biden. Right. And that's the sentiment that we felt at the rally. And I think the other thing that I've felt from Alaskans is it's just so nice to have somebody as powerful and as prestigious as a president, President Trump, to honor a commitment he made two years ago to come up here and to um, pay attention to us. Across the state, everywhere I go, Michael, people feel ignored and we feel forgotten. We feel betrayed by our national leaders. And to have somebody fly all the way up, honor a commitment made two years ago and pay attention to us and say, I'm going to help you in this race, And then to show us as much attention as he did, just the day before, he spoke for about 45 minutes at a similar event for a Senate candidate in Nevada. But for us, he spoke for almost 100 minutes. And that's just a lot of love and attention for Alaskans when normally we just feel so forgotten and passed over. And I think that 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 in itself just really motivated people to be like, wow, um, we think we're important, but we have just felt so disregarded by so many people for so long. That was really, I think, what what came out of the rally, at least from what I'm hearing from people, is to feel um, empowered again and like we matter again to people who really matter. Kelly Shabak is our guest, GOP candidate for U.S. Senate. Uh, I'm glad to see, you know, I'm glad people felt good coming out of the rally. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, as a voter myself and as a libertarian, um, you know, I am not as con- as much concerned about endorsements uh, from other people as I am about positions. And I'll tell you, you won me over on your positions before, you know, any of these endorsements ever came about. And so uh, kudos to you for putting together a, what I thought was a good platform and good decisions on that. And if this helps you, great. Um, if not, I think you're still, you know, you've got you've got the positions that you need without even without the endorsement. So I think you've got a good thing. I'm glad that this is helping you, though, uh, along those ways. Let's talk a little bit about some of those policies. Um, I mean, we're facing 
the highest rate of inflation that we faced in 40 years. Um, we are facing, uh, you know, problems with energy, with food security, with, uh, you know, with uh, employment, uh, with the government getting involved in every areas of our lives and being unable to manage things properly as government is want to do to begin with. As senator, what policies would you be pursuing to try and fix some of this economic, uh, uh, you know, some of this economic issues that we're having right now? For the economic crises that we're in, I think, and let's just be clear up front, one senator can't fix it all, so we don't want to pretend that Kelly's going to go in there and have some rosy view of the world that she's the the one and done solution. Right, However, as, a, as a freshman senator, the, right, exactly. The, right, there's a lot of things a freshman can do. One of the things they can't do is unilaterally pass legislation. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, but with that in mind, these are the things that I would stand behind, support, um, draw our Alaska line in the sand, if you will. We need to, for example, not spend trillions and trillions of dollars on excessive government spending that's driving up the inflation. These bills that have been passed the last year and a half under the Biden administration, even this Obama economic advisor who was on one of the liberal TV networks, MSNBC or CNN, he was interviewed recently. They said, what's the cause of all the Biden inflation? And he said, these trillion dollar plus spending bills, like the Green New Deal, quote, infrastructure bill, it has a lot of Green New Deal with a little bit of infrastructure. I think Alaskans fully support infrastructure spending. Trump tried to get infrastructure spending through. We need that. That's in the billions of dollars. What really is costing us an arm and a leg is the Green New Deal corporate subsidies and um, Green New Deal spending for renewable energy um, transition. That's what's costing so much money. And he said, you know, this excessive spending is what's bottoming out the value of our dollar. Forty percent of the dollars in our market right now have been printed in the last two years. And that's what's making it cost so much more to buy anything, whether it's milk at the grocery store, school supplies for kids, or gasoline at the pump. Speaking of gasoline at the pump, we all know intuitively if we're not having to ship gasoline from countries that want to extort it from us because they are our foreign adversaries, and we turn on domestic oil and gas production, and we stop making our oil companies jump through hoops and hurdles to do it, we will naturally lower the cost of gasoline at the pump. But when we are being extorted by OPEC plus and having to go hat in hand and bending a knee, we're going to always pay more at the pump. And so reversing the Biden administration's policies to do that is important. How do we do that? That doesn't actually have to go through Congress because Congress has already authorized that. That's just simply getting Deb Holland to become more rational and using the executive branch tools that we have against executive branch bureaucrats who are unelected to get them to follow the will of Congress. That happens to be my background and specialty, making the executive branch work for us, not against us. The only person who is Anwar shut down right now literally is Deb Holland. The only reason why Deb Holland is in place is a single tie-breaking vote from Senator Murkowski to advance her confirmation, knowing that she was going to lead this energy annihilating agenda. And so there are tools that we can use to get the executive branch to work for us. On top of that, we need to cut taxes. We need to reduce regulations. There are bills we can pass in Congress to do that. 
like, for example, the policy that President Trump had of if you pass a regulation, you cut two, we could actually codify that in statute to start reducing regulations across the bureaucracy. Or there was something that just came out in the Supreme Court that said, hey, if you have a significant regulation that's being implemented in the bureaucracy, this is the EPA case, it actually has to come back to Congress. Right. Similarly, we could pass a law that says anything of significant financial or policy weight actually has to come back for Senate confirmation, just like people in nominee positions that are going to have significant financial or policy decision have to come back for Senate confirmation and really take back some of that regulatory oversight back into the Senate's hands, which is the lawmaking power under the Constitution, instead of just delegating it out to the bureaucracy for them to over-regulate and over-stamp. I think they're just all over the citizens of the United States, like you're saying, Michael, and actually put that back in the hands of Congress. Well, yeah. All of those things would help us in Alaska. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we've seen that Congress has abjured their responsibilities. I mean, they're passing the laws and then passing everything over to the bureaucracy to say, all right, we've given you this. You guys just go ahead and figure it out. And and they basically, they're they're sidestepping their responsibilities. They're the ones that are supposed to put out a lot with the with the obviously the input of bureaucrats and people who are supposed experts and things like that. But what we're seeing is they're passing these very broad frameworks and then telling bureaucracies, you guys go ahead and interpret this. And of course, they interpret it to the you know most strident, most stringent, and sometimes most unconstitutional ways. We need to get Congress to take up their mantle of what they're supposed to be doing again and be responsible. And and to go back to your point about spending, I mean, are you telling me that we can't spend more than we take in and have it be a happy ending in the long run? I mean, I mean, really? I mean, well, this, no, the average American That's exactly knows. right. You can't, you can't do that at home. I don't understand why they do that at Congress. Well, here's another one that just is outrageous to me. When I worked for Senator Ted Stevens, he insisted that we had our appropriations bills out on time before the next fiscal year started for government, which is the beginning of September. He didn't care if we slept over the summer. He didn't care. <laughs> we had to get our appropriations bills out. Well, when you look over the last now 12 years, because we're coming up on a September, I think there's been one appropriations bill that they've passed on time, which means they won't budget in, they won't rein in the executive branch, but they'll sure pass a trillion dollars here and a trillion dollars there, like we're in some some sick kind of Austin well, Powers movie. They haven't because, even... You know, we'll take the taxpayer dollars and spend it, spend it, spend it, but they won't actually do their constitutional job of budgeting in and reining in the executive branch. Well, I'll tell you, Michael, having been a watchdog for the executive branch for about two decades, when you don't rein in the executive branch, guess what they do? It's the same thing as if you're a parent and you just give your kids an allowance every week, but you never check on how they're spending their money and you never say, oh, hey, hold on. If you're going to do that, I'm going to take away your allowance. Guess what the kids do? Right. It's the same exact concept. And that's what we see happening with our spending, with our debt ceiling, with the inflation, with all of it. And the people who are paying the price are the ordinary taxpayer public, you and me, and I am tired of us paying the price for the D.C. insider's popularity. We haven't even really seen a budget, Kelly. I mean, we've been operating under a continuing resolution for what now, 12 years? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, there's That's no... That's exactly what I'm yeah, saying. There is no budget. It is, well, we'll borrow more and we'll just continue We'll just continue to move on and we won't really have a fiscal plan. We'll just keep printing money and, and throwing it at the thing and we'll see if it sticks. It, it is. It's like giving a teenager a, a an American Express card with no limit and say, be responsible. 
That's just not good. That's exactly right. It's not going to happen. There's, so no small business, no large business, no American family could function the same way. And yet we give a green light to the leaders of our country to do this. It's absolutely reckless and irresponsible. We got to go. Uh, Kelly uh, Chewbacca is our guest. We're going to be back with her here in just a second. The Michael Duke Show continues. You're home for Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Uh, we broke the clock there. I was listening to Kelly and I missed the, uh, missed, uh, hopefully we're still moving on in the break here. Kelly Chewbacca is our guest GOP candidate for U uh, S Senate, um, here as we continue on. Um, like I said, Kelly, I think that there were, you know, there's good things and bad things with the last administration. Uh, there were many things that I appreciated, uh, a few that I completely, uh, did not appreciate and in fact despised, but overall, I think a good, you know, kind of a freedom loving thing that we saw there with the, especially energy independence. How could we go from a country that was completely energy independent from the outset? We were drawing enough. We could, we could take care of our own needs and everything else to have that completely 18 months, 20 months later, have it completely overturned and reversed. Um, I mean, what a, what a crime, what a shame at that point. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I don't think it has anything to do with the environment because if we're going to be honest, we do it cleaner and greener. We do energy production cleaner and greener than the countries that we're now going to asking for oil and gas production. And so we have to look at what's the real motivation and agenda here. And when you pull it back, you keep pulling on the string. Really what we're doing is we're trying to dismantle America. And I think that the agenda honestly is whether it's you know you go to identity politics or you go to this divided states of america rhetoric that you keep hearing the left use i don't see them trying to uh, contend for equality by lifting people up which is what you hear in some of the messaging from martin luther king jr you hear them contending for equality by pushing those who are elevated down and so we're going to make the world equal by lowering the united states and the way that you get rid of somebody being a superpower, just look through history, um, first, they can't be energy independent. They have to be interdependent. And you can't have food security. You take away energy, you take away food, you take away supply chain, and then all of a sudden, we're on the same third world country playing level as everybody else. And so I think that there is a somewhat intentional effort to level the playing field by making us, if you will, not America first, not thinking about a patriotic view of the country, and we heard a lot of rhetoric around that on July 4th, but instead um, making us know better than any other country. And I think right. that's what's really going on. If you really care about the environment, you would let Alaska produce energy because the countries that we're going to, like China for our minerals or Saudi Arabia in the Middle East and Venezuela for oil, go look at what the EPA and others are saying about their energy production standards. Right. It's very harmful for the environment. Right. Why would you support those kind of exploration and exploitive uh, ways of developing resources rather than going to a place that's already under your thumb, you know, so to speak, in terms of development practices and everything else? Why wouldn't you do that? Uh, and, and what happened to... I mean, you're making the comments about the Fourth of July stuff and everything. You know, when did become when 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 did it become a a crime or a shame or something shameful to believe that your country is great? 
to believe in exceptionalism, to believe and love and be patriotic, when did that become so wrong in so many people's minds? <laughs> I'm going to believe it's around the same time that they lost touch of what's actually happening in other countries. So, for example, my husband's dad uh, was born and raised in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, he's the youngest of five kids raised by a single mom in a mud hut in a rainforest. And, you know, their family had to move multiple times over several hundred kilometers because of coup violence. And then my husband was raised in Africa. He had to live in several countries moving every time because of coup violence, you know, machine guns outside the home, right. um, riddling the neighbor's homes and everything. And it's not safe to live here anymore. We've got to move. We've got to move. And this whole time his dad was running or operating startup Citibank branches. So it's not like his family was in a bad part of town. This is the nature of other countries. This is what they go through all the time. Right. When you don't understand what's happening around the world, then maybe you look around and you think things aren't going so great in America. When you understand what's actually happening in other parts of the world, their governments, their standard of living, um, the nature and turbulent parts of war, civil war, coup violence, et cetera, you become really grateful right. for what's hold, happening here, which is why hold, so hold many on. people are coming across the southern border. Right, right. Hold on, Kelly. we got to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Kelly Shabaka is our guest, GOP candidate for U.S. Senate. We were just talking about, uh, you know, when did American exceptionalism and love of country become kind of a dirty word or a, or a dirty practice? She was using some comparatives from her husband's past uh, when he was raised and his family being raised in Africa and watching those third world nations uh, and what's going on. I mean, Kelly, it's one of the reasons why America is still... The light of the world. I mean, nobody is dying to get into Nigeria or the Congo or Kosovo or anything else, but people are still dying to get into America. I mean, they're literally crossing deserts and uh, and uh, and you know and putting themselves and their families at risk to break into America. It's still the shining light on the hill, uh, but it's uh, again, it's being treated like a dirty word if you believe in the idea of American exceptionalism or the fact that we are a great nation and we offer the freest, uh, most uh, equal opportunity for anybody in the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. There's a little bit of inconsistency in, in the way some of those leftists think that um, America is a problem, and then also let's not secure the southern border where we're expected to have more than 3 million encounters this year. And so why is everybody racing to get in here if there's a problem with the country? Now, what we have to acknowledge is American exceptionalism doesn't mean America perfectionism. And I don't think anybody's saying that. We're not a perfect country. Uh, obviously, there's challenges. There's things we're working through. Those are exactly the things we're talking about. What needs to change? That was the whole first segment. What are the things that need to change? No country is perfect. No person is perfect. But that's different than saying there's a country out there that's doing it better and is offering more freedom or a better quality of life 
better way of living because the fact of the matter is America is, and it was an experiment that has actually turned out to work really well, which is why so many people have picked up from other countries and moved here and said, this is a, a beacon of freedom and hope and a place where, you know, I want a refugee status, if you will. This is where people come because that Statue of Liberty still means something to so many people around the world. Right, exactly. And we have to kind of protect and enshrine that. And we've seen some of those things. We've seen the pendulum swinging back a little bit. I want to talk for a minute about some of the SCOTUS decisions uh, here recently. The Supreme Court has finally come back uh, again uh, due to what I think are some pretty good picks by the president uh, for filling vacant seats. We've got some. Uh, we've we've had some pretty interesting decisions come out of the Supreme Court. You mentioned earlier earlier the the EPA case where they said no EPA just can't arbitrarily decide especially if there's a huge economic impact that needs to go back to Congress we saw the uh, gun rights striking down the New York sh- uh, uh, May issue situation uh, obviously Roe v Wade uh, we're seeing some real things come out of the Supreme Court uh, I think uh, rectifying some of the mistakes that have been made in the past what say you I think that these are all really refreshing cases because what it's doing is I think reversing activist legislation from the bench and saying this is what the Constitution actually says. Like in the Second Amendment case, saying the Second Amendment isn't a second class right, it's a first class right. Well, in law school, they taught us primacy is premacy, meaning the the Bill of Rights is stacked in order of importance and you've got to look at what comes first because it's really, really important which means the Second Amendment isn't a second-class right. It's number two for a reason. It's really, really high up there. That's essentially what the Supreme Court said. No matter how much you want to redline it out of the Constitution, when it says it shall not be infringed, it means you don't cut off the fringes of it. That's what it means. If you want to change it, great, change it. There's a process for that. But until then, a Constitution is absolute, unlike what Joe Biden says, and this means it's not a second-class right. Similarly, um, with the Dobbs decision overturning Roe back to the states, it doesn't really overturn Roe. It just says we have to acknowledge this is not in the Constitution. It's just not. And the federal government doesn't have a a position on it. This should be back to the states themselves. Yes, and we've got to acknowledge, I mean, come on, the whole point of setting up a federal government was to keep it small. And the federal government overreach is just so huge at this point. I like to think of federal government as it's supposed to be the two refs on a hockey rink, regulate the plays and call the fouls. You've got to have refs. If you don't, the game gets bloody. We all know that. But when you have 200 refs on the rink, we can't play the game. And it's, the game is supposed to belong to the people. And that's why you have a 10th Amendment that says, if it's not in this document, it belongs to the states and the people. And they wrote that in for a reason. And it was in the original 10. It's the, it's the period on the document that says, full stop. And so all the justices are saying is, enough with the activist legislation from the bench. Judges are not legislators. You're right. not allowed to write in to the Constitution what isn't here. If you want to change it, great amend the Constitution. But if it's not here, it belongs to the states and the people. And I think that's what we're really seeing. Now, I'll tell you a little piece of inside information. When I was in law school, I had a very liberal professor, as were all of my professors. And he said he was on the court clerking when Roe v. Wade was written. And he said it was just so gut-wrenching to see the justices 
wringing their hands and walking the halls and having so many conferences because they came to a predetermined outcome and then they had to back their way into a decision. He said, someday Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned because the fact of the matter is we all know that it isn't based in the Constitution. And he said, so I don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen because we watched it all be written and it was like watching sausage be made. There's no right. basis for it. Right. They, they made it up. We watched it. It will be overturned because read the opinion. There's no there there. And it was fascinating listening to him tell the whole story. As a liber- um, as so a liberal, here we are. Yeah, as a former liberal uh, just a clerk in the in the in the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, he told the whole story. You know, I think you you touched on something here that we seem to have forgotten. I mean, originally the the as you mentioned, the federal government, all power was supposed to flow from the states to the federal government. The government was the federal was supposed to be the the referee like you said. I always think of it as like a funnel, right? All the states are up at the top and they're all funneling power down to the federal government who then executes the will of the people in the states in protection and infrastructure and things like that. And then comes along the civil war and that is kind of tip things around and now all power seems to be flowing now it's a pyramid and the power seems to be flowing from the top down to the states and the states get what uh, sugar daddy wants to give them if they toe the line and things like that i mean we need to we need to kind of continue to reverse that i i embrace the idea of the roe decision simply because it is in like you mentioned briefly that 10th amendment idea that those powers not relegated to the federal government reside in the states the states were supposed to be able to make different laws so if you didn't like the law in one state you could go to another state that had a different interpretation of the law or a different set of laws and you could live there and that was the whole beauty of it yeah, it, almost like um, different countries, right? So uh, there was a visitor that we had a, a couple years ago. He came back. He was an emissary, if you will, to one of our federal agencies. And he came from another country, and he went and visited different parts of the U.S. And he came back. We're like, hey, what did you think? And he said, the U.S. is so different. All these states are like different countries. And that's supposed to be the beauty of the United We are supposed to be very different and united in our differences. And I agree that that was the original model. Something I think is interesting about the Dobbs case is that now um, Congress, the federal government, will have very little to do or to say about what happens at the state level. But the role of Congress is what, what happens now, right? So for somebody like me who believes in the value of life, then what I would like to see is that Congress starts, instead of forcing taxpayer-funded abortions across the nation, which is what my opponent has been doing, those people then give kickback donations to her campaigns. I would like to see us using that money to help fund our local clinics here in Alaska who don't get very much money at all that are providing women's health care services for our Alaska women, those non-abortive health care services that our women need. Because when I go out to rural communities and remote communities, Michael, we have a lot of healthcare clinics doing a lot of great work, and they are really, really under-resourced for the people that we are serving. And we need more help in Alaska to take care of our, our women and our vulnerable Alaskans, people who need help. And that's something that our government can help with and can do more about that would actually make a difference for people here in our local communities. Kelly Shabak is our guest GOP candidate for U.S. Senate. Kelly4ak.com is her website. If you'd like to go over there and get more information, you can. We're going to take uh, another quick break. And we'll be back with Kelly here in just a hot minute. One final segment is ahead. 
We'll continue on. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Kelly Shubaka is our guest. Um... Let me shift gears for just a little bit since we're in the break and we got about five minutes here. Uh, Kelly, uh, you know, one of the most difficult things that we're looking at right now is, of course, with the death of Don Young, it catapulted us into the whole ranked choice voting scenario, um, which I think is going to be very confusing. And now, of course, we're going to have both the regular uh, we're going to have the regular primary and the special general election all on the same day on the same ballot. Uh, I don't think the Division of Elections has done a great job kind of differentiating that or educating the public on the differences and the different ways with this ranked choice voting. I think it's going to create a lot of confusion personally um, on Election Day uh, for the primary. Um, what say you and how do you think, I mean, especially since a lot of this has been said, has been pushed by uh, Murkowski's hatchet man, uh, Scott Kendall, was the one that pushed all this stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the ranked choice voting and, and all that and the effects that it will have on this upcoming uh, primary and election? I'm sorry, the Kelly. The biggest risk we have with ranked choice is that people will be discouraged and frustrated and confused. And so it has the potential for suppressing voter turnout. That's my biggest concern. When I, when I dig into it and I look at it um, with all this research that's done, I think that ultimately ranked choice voting can end up in the exact same results as regular choice voting because of the size of our voter pool and the demographics in Alaska. And so, for example, um, when you look back on our elections going back 12 years, 54% of Alaskans vote for the Republican slash conservative candidate consistently, which means that we have a really good chance if voters turn out of the Republican slash conservative candidate winning. The only way that this ends up a little bit uh, funky or distorted is if the Republican and conservative Alaskans who vote that way don't, quote, rank the red, which is um, what the Republican Party has been pushing. So in the um, special general, uh, you've got Nick and Sarah on the ballot. So if Nick voters don't rank Sarah second and Sarah voters don't rank Nick second, that 54% gets split. Let's call it 27 and 27 even. And Mary Potola is going to get the 37 to 41% Democrats. That's going to float somewhere in there. At the 2020 election, Al Gross had 41 on the high side. Right. That puts her really close to 50. When Nick or Sarah drops off and nobody ranks second, then what you have is voter pool shrinkage, which means that all those votes drop out of the voter pool and Mary Potola hits 50%, not because she picked up second place votes, but because the total amount of people in the voter pool shrink. Right. And so that's our big risk. That's why you've got to rank the red and put people second. And we will end up with the exact same result as long as we play intelligently and we 
do voter turnout. Right. I mean, you hear from a lot of people that are so frustrated, like, I'm only voting for one candidate. I'm not voting for, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to. Then we get hosed. And that, yeah, exactly. Yep. Because then you end up with one, if you're only voting for one or two candidates out of four, your ballot gets exhausted. And as you said, the voter pool shrinks and now they claim a majority of it. And of course, the fear here in uh, in your race is that, you know, if, if they don't rank you as number one and some other Republican is number two and leaving Murkowski out, then the Democrats, the fear is, is that the Democrats will all pile on and jump on the Murkowski bandwagon as they did in 2010 for the writing campaign. And that puts it right. in a tenuous situation for you. So for me, you rank me number one. We know I'm going to come in number one just from polling, and I'm already in the 40s, probably the high 40s. Remember, my mountain to climb is only to 50. There won't probably be another Republican on my ballot. Your ballot will never get exhausted with me because I won't drop off. You don't need to rank anybody else, um, which means when number four drops off, voter pool shrinkage, I'll pick up some number two votes. I get to 50 really quickly. Murkowski is down in the 20s somewhere. She always has been. She has a really big hill to climb to get to 50 between number two votes and voter full shrinkage. I just don't see how she gets there. You can run the math the same way I do. It takes a lot of voter pool shrinkage and a lot of number two votes before. Yeah. I mean, she's running against the clock against me by the time you exhaust ballots Yeah. and hope that Kelly gets no more number two votes. I mean, it just, our voter pool is going to be around 280,000 people, maybe a little bit more. Um, I just don't have that far to climb to 50. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're going to be, uh, uh, hopefully we're going to be seeing some changes come up and it would be, it'll be good to see you uh, in that position. Uh, David in the chat room says, yep, I'm not, ra I'm not ranking Chesbro or Murkowski. No need at this point. Exactly. And, yeah. So well, I mean, and there's no need to, cause <clears throat> our ballots will never drop off. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Shubaka, our guest uh, GOP candidate for uh, Senate. Uh, we're about to jump back into it here. We're 20 seconds out. Please like and share this video. Please like and follow the show page on Facebook. Please also subscribe and ring the bell. Do all the youtube -y things out there on YouTube. You heard the ding. Time to get back to it. Let's jump. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, don't forget to check out the podcast as well. Let's uh, Let's do this thing. Here we go. Kelly Shibaka is our guest, GOP candidate for U.S. Senate. Um, I've got one final question before I kind of let her go on any other topics that she may want to talk on. And that, of course, is the uh, Second Amendment and the Supreme Court's uh, ruling, uh, which I think is a big blow. They quantified six states as having may issue schemes for concealed carry permits, which they said is not uh, concurrent with what the uh, Constitution says. There's actually more like eight or nine that have similar schemes. But I think this is moving in that direction. And of course, the Biden administration immediately came out and said, oh, we want this, we want that, and red flag laws. And, uh, you know, they got ATF regs that they're moving and things like that. How do we continue to <clears throat> push back on this and protect our Second Amendment rights so that, I mean, we've already got 20,000 regulations on the books. I mean, there's already a bunch of regulations that I think infringe. How do we stop it? And maybe how do we even reverse some of the uh, regulations that are already on the books, Kelly? 
I think there's a couple things we can do. We can try and push things through Congress. I don't think we're going to get any success on that until 2024 because of the Biden administration and their absolute desire to to translate gun control from two hands to the elimination of guns. I, in Alaska, gun control is two hands. We all know that. But Biden administration thinks that guns are evil, not not people who use them in wrong ways. And so I don't think we're going to get anywhere with Joe Biden. But I think that there are definitely things that you can do with ATF once you flip Congress, because remember, Congress is in charge of authorities and budget. And what we used to train when I was a watchdog in the government agencies, if you abuse your authority, you lose your authority. And I don't understand why Congress isn't using its power to say to these agencies, this is not what we intend, this is not the law, this is not the Constitution. And ATF is supposed to be going after people who don't follow the law. They're not supposed to be going after law-abiding citizens and becoming this gun control regulating agency that's kicking in doors and going after innocent people's guns. And so if they're going to become hyperactive with their regulations and violating people's Second Amendment rights, okay, I think Congress made them. Congress can take them away. You can read the Constitution just like I did. There is no ATF in the U.S. Constitution. Guess who made ATF? The U.S. Congress. Right. Guess who can take ATF away? The U.S. Congress. Just, just get, the authority, get, get a hearing together and start doing your job and say, okay, we don't like that you're doing this. We don't like these regulations. You've got two choices. And then start curtailing their authorities and start curtailing their budget. Right. But back to our original discussion, Michael. When was the last time they curtailed budget? Right. And well, when was the last time they actually did something? This, they'll hold committee hearings on things that I don't think they have constitutional authority to do. But the last time I remember them holding hearings to actually hold agencies accountable, like the Church Committee and the Pike Committee over the Intelligence Committee, uh, Intelligence Community was back in what the seventies. Yeah, and well, so it's time for Congress to get back to doing its job. Well, this is what I was talking about earlier with this abdicating of authority, that the Congress has basically abdicated much of their authority out uh, in a variety of ways, regulation, powers to make war, everything else. They're abdicating all those responsibilities to somebody else. They're passing the buck. And they're like, oh, we'll we'll rah-rah and we'll stand up at parades and we'll do everything else and we'll talk a good game. But will everybody else do the actual work that the, that the Constitution has dealt delegated to us. I mean, when are we getting back to Congress exactly. actually exercising their own authority? That's exactly right. And the other thing that we can do, because I do see some individuals doing this, is individual senators, individual Congress members, they can actually do this through letters, through meetings, even through bringing um, witnesses forward for hearings and testimony. You can actually do this on your own just to make a scene and rally sort of public pressure and so we've seen some of this happen even in this session. There was, I don't remember what the example was, but it was a couple months ago, um, the Republicans threw a fit and a bunch of them went on to primetime television and there was a hearing that they used as their sound bites and they actually got the administration and one of the agencies to stop in moving forward with a policy that they were going to do. That's another way that you can move forward with these things is just to um, use, you know, you've got your bully pulpit, you've got your soapbox, your ballot box, and your ammo box, the three ways Americans can make a difference. <laughs> right. And those are preserved for us in the Constitution. And I think the soapbox is a very, very powerful tool that members of Congress could use and could use more. And that's one that I intend for us to be able to use as Alaskans, being able to build a communication shop and leverage that tool out of the Senate office 
in order to get policy done. This is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does, and she's a junior. She doesn't have any seniority in Congress, but how does she yield so much power? Right. She wields her power through her communication shop, and we need to do more of yeah. that because we need millions of Americans across the United States becoming our lobbyists for the sake of Alaskans. Right. No, I mean, and I agree. I think communication is the most powerful tool, and it's probably the most overlooked tool by many politicians in this state and others, that they could motivate their base and utilize that power of communication. That's why I've invited people to come on the program, because I'm like, you want to put your message out, this is where you do it. Uh, Speaking of which, we're down to the last four minutes, so this is your message. This is your time to put out your message, Kelly. Anything that we didn't hit on today that you really want to have a quick drop on, and then we'll give you the last minute or so for your elevator pitch. Well, I really appreciate what you mentioned in the beginning of you know, for you, it's not about the endorsements. It's about the policies and platforms. So I wanted to let everyone know, I've released those. I'm releasing those in detail on our website under Kelly's plan. You can find that at the website Michael keeps mentioning, kelly4ak.com. So in, in the simple form, what we call it is reviving the economy, reclaiming our rights, reforming health care, requiring equal legal and safe immigration, restoring voting integrity, and then there's a couple more, like getting back to basic constitutional rights. And so I go into detail about all of that because I talk in detail about all of it all the time. And when I go into a federal agency, what I'll do is develop a strategic plan with KPIs and metrics and things that we hold ourselves to within however many years for the Senate, it'll be six years. You break those out into one-year goals, et cetera. So I was talking with my team about all this. They said, well, why don't you just like make that all public for everybody to see like man no problem because this is what I intend to focus on and deliver like this is what I'm holding myself to I'm going to be moving forward on all these areas why not just make it so you can screenshot it and we can all look at it in six years and say how much progress were we able to make right so I'm putting that on the website and the reason I'm doing that Michael is because I think in Alaska we suffer from promise trauma we get a lot of really nice sounding campaign slogans and really great looking campaign signs during campaign season. And then we elect politicians and then they don't do what they promised right. or they don't do what their campaign sign said. Right. And that's happened so often that now we all just become kind of really cynical and bitter when some campaign comes along and they say, you know what I'm going to do? Like for me, I'm going to fight for the Alaskans who fought for me and we're going to hold government accountable and we're going to make them work for us. And everybody's like, yeah, but how? Right. How many times have we heard people say this? Well, Well, my how is in specific detail on the website. You know, we're going to fight to protect our jobs and block people trying to shut down the resource industry. I'm going to focus on creating a jobs pipeline for our kids, fight for our Second Amendment rights, protect parents' rights in education, really focus on building affordable housing, making sure that we can get more mental health resources, getting our veterans benefits in record time. I could go on and on and on for about a hundred of these, Michael, but that's why it's on the website. So people right. can look and go, wow, she actually got specific. That's yeah. what matters to, I think, all of us. Well, like you said, you're one of 500, right? And so it's not like Kelly can walk in there with her magic wand uh, and either wave it or beat people into submission with it. You've got to work it within the framework. But with your background, you bring a unique perspective in, again, being able to uh, segment this stuff out and take it a chunk at a time. And I, I like to see that. Uh, Kelly Shabaka, uh, your 60-second elevator pitch, and I mean 60 seconds here, so give me your elevator pitch for Kelly Shabaka. <laughs> so I'm fighting for the Alaskans who fought for me. For those who don't know, my parents were homeless in Alaska before I was born, but my mom was able to get a job at Prudhoe Bay, and that oil job 
changed our life. They went from homeless to a starter home in Wasilla where I was raised Wasilla in Anchorage. And my family owes everything to our state. And so for me, I'm just paying back what was given to us because we owe everything to Alaska and Alaskans who came around us to give us opportunities. So I want to fight for our future, fight for our children, and fight for us to be able to live here, work here, and play here and not be turned into Joe Biden's National Park. So I'm at kelly4ak.com. You can join our team. You can help us win this race, kelly4ak.com. Kelly Shibaka, kelly4ak.com on the web, also on Facebook and in other places. Kelly, thanks for coming on board. It was good to talk with you again. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Michael. Have a great day. All right, folks, we are out of time. We got to go. Tomorrow's another day. We'll have somebody on tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. Okay. Well, it's good stuff. Um, I have good. I have good feels about Kelly Shabaka. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping she's able to pull this off. It looks like things are. Things are looking pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to vote for Kelly and then I'm going to vote for Sean because I'm still going to rank number two. Anybody but Murkowski at this point. Anybody but Murkowski. I'll vote Kelly one and Sean Thorne, the Libertarian, number two, just because. If I can, if he makes it to the top. Uh, we're going to be working on it. All right, we are out of time for today, folks. We will see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Like, mash that like button. Hit that subscribe button and ring the bell. Follow the show page. Do it now. (laughs) We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.